started, I'd like to say if you were not here last Sunday morning, you missed a very good sermon by Brian Sorello. Uh, very pertinent subject, very well presented. And, of course, Brian always does a fine job. Why are we here? What are we doing in life? I think Solomon sums it up very well, showing our responsibility in life and what we should be doing. Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter and verse 13. Of course, this is a verse that many people know very well. As Solomon says, let us consider the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is a whole duty of man. Solomon tells us very plainly what our responsibility is in this life. It is to serve God. And in serving God, we need to serve God according to his revelation to us, his holy word. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus is telling us very plainly that our number one priority in life is to serve God. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't have other responsibilities in life, because we do. And for us to be responsible servants of God, we have to handle other responsibilities that come along in life. As we go from being children into our adult lives, we take on usually family. We raise families. We have a responsibility to our families. But although a person may choose to stay single, they still have responsibilities in life. And of course Solomon is not saying that we don't pay attention to those things, that we only pay attention to serving God. Well, if that's the case, we really are serving God by taking on responsibilities. We're to work. The Bible shows us from the very beginning about man and his uh, requirement to work and do God's will. But as far as work, a physical type of work, why was Adam and Eve put in the garden? Or what was their responsibility in it? They were to till the garden. They were to work it. But when we look at our spiritual lives, we are to serve God first and foremost. God should not be second place in our lives. Unfortunately, there are many who have no place for God in their lives. As I watch TV a lot of times, or watch people in their everyday lives, they live as if there is no God. They may claim to believe in God, they may have some form of religion, but they live their lives as if there is no God. I think it's interesting what uh, Solomon said after he made that statement. He said, For God shall bring every work into judgment, and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be bad. And we also know that Apostle, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we all are going to have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account. These things are not hard to understand, but they're hard to accept. Why? Because man wants to go his own way. Man does not want to be restricted by rules and regulations. Man wants to live as if there is no God, but yet turn around and receive the reward of an eternal God who has an eternal place called heaven 
for those who are obedient. I've seen many people claim to follow Jesus and love the Lord Jesus, but they do nothing in their lives to show that. James talked about showing his faith through his works. Now, people say, well, you can't work your way to heaven. That's not what James is talking about. He is talking about he shows his faith in God by doing the things that God requires. It is important for us to understand what our duty to God as Christians is. <clears throat> now, this doesn't mean that only Christians are amenable to God. That's not what this means, this lesson. But it is applicable to all people in the sense that this is what all people need to be doing. But we know as God's people that we are serving God by choice. We have decided to serve God. No one is forced to serve God. I never have and do not recall any time in my life where anyone twisted my arm to make me come to services. Now, we know as children, we know how children are. Of course, when it comes time to go to church, you know, mom and daddy, you know, get the kids ready. The kid may not want to go at that time because they're doing other things. But as adults, we must realize, if we are God's people, that we have chosen that. And I recall when making the decision to become a child of God, that I knew where I would be when the church met. I knew that I was supposed to study God's Word and be a Christian, do things differently than the world. And in our duty to God, it should not be a duty that is burdensome. Just as Paul talks about our giving shouldn't be burdensome. It should be done with joy. Looking ahead to that great reward, or as Paul calls it, the prize of the high calling. That's why we serve God. Yes, we should serve God out of love, and we do. But we also know that God has revealed in His Word what the eternal destinations are for humanity. One is heaven, and one is hell. No other choice. And it is not wrong to be motivated by fear. But we must serve God correctly. So what is our duty to God as Christians? One thing that may be the hardest thing to do is to give ourselves totally to God. We live in a very chaotic world. We live in a very fast-paced world. And it is easy to be distracted by the things of this world. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be sinful things. They can be things that just pull us away from God and keep us from serving God as we should. As I already mentioned, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now couple that with what Paul says in Romans, the 12th chapter. When we are told to present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Now, we look at that and we can make the analogy or we can make the connection that when Paul says present our bodies a living sacrifice, one of the things about the old law, the old law looked forward to the gospel, to the 
to uh, the new law, the new testament, the new covenant. And with writing to those who were very familiar, and even the Gentiles were familiar with the Jewish system. Maybe not as much as the Jewish people were, but yet they were familiar with it. But when Paul says, Prevent our, uh, present our bodies a living sacrifice, we understand that under the old law, the priest presented the sacrifice to God for the people. But under the new covenant, we are the priests. So therefore, we are obligated to present sacrifices to God. So what is that sacrifice? That sacrifice is our life. In 1 Peter 2, 9, uh, Peter says that we are a royal priesthood. Therefore, as priests of God, we need to live holy lives. In our religious world today, people who carry the title priest or reverend or any title like that, people look up to those people. Now, we know that we're to follow Christ only, and we understand about religious titles, but yet the idea of looking up rather than falling back and lowering the standards as the case with the world today, rather trying to raise the bar and make people reach their full potential, it's been the opposite of that. But when we look at the fact that we are priests, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And he goes on to say, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, that's what we ought to be doing. We don't pat ourselves on the back and say, how great I am because I serve God. That's not it. The fact is that we should count it a privilege and an honor to be able to serve God. In Luke, the ninth chapter, verse 23, Luke says, if any, uh, actually Jesus saying this, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, when? Daily. And follow me. At other times, uh, Jesus may, would make a statement such as, if you don't follow me, you can't be my disciple. But when Jesus says daily, that means every day. That doesn't mean just when I think about it or when I feel like it. How many of us, and for those of us who are parents, know very well, but uh, if you happen to not be a parent, I think you can understand the principles involved in uh, parenthood and the fact that we, uh, as parents, expect certain things out of our children. We don't bring children into this world and just let them go and not expect a thing out of them and turn around and do everything for them. Now, I know that's happened with people, but that's not the norm. Now, why should it be any different with God? Why should God have man come into the world and just live as he wants and then turn around and give to him everything that he wants and then at the end give eternal life? Of course, the Scriptures do not support such an idea. It supports that which is opposite of that as far as our lives. But in Luke 9, 23, Jesus talks about following daily. Take up the cross daily. That means I have to do it intentionally. I can't do it accidentally. I have to do it intentionally. And that means my mind has to be focused on serving God. 
But notice what he says in verse 24. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. What Jesus is saying here is the fact that people get so caught up in their own lives and doing what they want that they don't give it to God. They don't follow Jesus. There, unfortunately, many in the world, and even in the Lord's church, only come through the doors of the church maybe twice a year for Easter and Christmas. And for those in the Lord's church, they should know better to set those two days apart as special for anything because those are man-made holidays that God's Word does not recognize. But when they put their lives first, they'll lose it. Put our lives second or last in following God and we'll save it. So it's important for us to give our lives totally to God as His children. It's not enough just to say, well, I'm a member of the Lord's church and as a member of the Lord's church, I'm saved. No, there's so many more verses in the Scriptures that talk about being faithful and what happens if you're not faithful. Those things are not left to guess. They're pointed out very plainly. So one of our duties to God is to give ourselves totally. I don't have to wonder if I'm going to be at services. I don't have to wonder if I'm going to be involved in some work of the Lord's church. I don't have to wonder that. Why? Because I know that God commands me to give first of myself. And if we go into 2 Corinthians and look at the situation where there was a collection being made for the saints of Jerusalem, the fact was Paul said that they had given of themselves first. In other words, they had given their hearts to God. And everything else that followed was not a problem. If we give our hearts to God, nothing else is a problem after that as far as serving God in the sense that we know what we're supposed to do. We know we set our priorities according to serving God, not according to serving self. That is the problem. So we must give ourselves totally. Brian touched on this last week, and I'm going to touch on it again because it's so important. And I experience this quite often when I discuss things with people of, of the religious nature. The fact of a lack of Bible knowledge. Uh, I'm like everybody else. I have to keep studying. I'd like to have a dollar for every person that said to a gospel preacher as they were going out the door or whatever, boy, I wish I knew the scriptures like you do. How do you think that preacher learned the scriptures? God didn't fill his head full of it automatically. We know that, that the miraculous doesn't exist anymore. They cracked the book. We know what that means. When you're going to school, you have to crack the books. In other words, you have to open them and study now, I was not fortunate to have a, uh, a photogenic mind, <laughs> actually photographic, to where I could just read something one time and have it down. So I have to read and study. Everybody has to read and study in order to learn. And if I'm not cracking God's Word on a regular basis, I am depriving myself of the greatest thing that's ever been revealed to mankind, God's Holy Word. 
we don't stop to think about this coming from the mind of God. We think of it as just the Bible. But this is the mind of God revealed to us why. God wants us to know this. God wants us to know for several reasons. One, so that we'll know what to do in order to serve Him. Another thing, so that we don't get carried away by every wind of doctrine, tossed to and fro, as James says. We know that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and talked to him about many things, about being a preacher and how to handle things, and we have that for us in the Bible and in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Well, that word study can mean diligent. So how was he going to do that? He was going to apply himself to know God's Word and also other areas of being a servant of God. Diligently serve God. Diligently means you have to put some effort out there. I wish I had a photographic mind to where I could read and learn. That means I could read more. But I'm sure I'm not alone when I tell you I have to go back and read things two or three times sometimes to keep it in my mind. But Timothy was charged to study to show himself approved unto God. And we know there's a secondary uh, application there for us. But we have to study God's Word in order to know it, in order to help people know the truth. Let me give you an example. And I'm sure this has happened, but I don't know uh, anybody personally, but... Say your neighbor has somebody come to their door, and we know that usually the only two groups going to go to somebody's door normally in that religious world would be Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons. And you know that what they teach is not correct according to Scripture. And they talk to your neighbor. If you don't have the Bible knowledge to go over and try to help them understand that what these people teach is incorrect and it won't save them, you feel like you've uh, neglected your duty to know God's Word? I would, th I would think that would be the case with me. I remember uh, Brother Bobby Gaten. Brother, Brother Bobby preaches down in uh, Cartersville. And he's a graduate of the Memphis School of Preaching. And he told me that the reason that he went to the Memphis School of Preaching was that he had gotten into a discussion, a religious discussion, and he could not answer the questions that the people asked him. And that got to him. So he decided to do something about it. Now, daily Bible reading is good, but we need to be students of the Bible. We need to go beneath the surface. And there are plenty of things on the market that can help us uh, learn how to make those things connect so that we're really getting the most out of the Scriptures. Peter said, Desire the sincere milk of the Word. You know, when I was a baby, I, and I still do, I love milk. But my mother told me that they had to take me off of milk because I drank too much. And even to this day, I can drink milk easier than I can water. I don't know why, but... There was that desire there. My body desired to have that. Where is our desire in the heart and in the mind to know God's Word? Instead, and I mentioned this morning in class about people are satisfied with having people just feed them the information. Well, that's good. I mean, we need teachers. But we can't let it stop there. We have to dig into the Scriptures to know it. We are commanded to grow in knowledge. 
2 Peter 3.18, we're to grow in grace and knowledge. That means that as a Christian, I never stop learning God's Word. It doesn't matter if you can read 200 words a minute or 2,000 words a minute. The command is to study. We all have our different levels. But we're commanded to grow. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 are very important verses, not just because it tells us that the Word of God comes from God, that it's breathed, God breathed the Word, but it tells us what it is for, verse 17, that the man of God may be perfectly, or perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we need that knowledge in order to be servants of God, all good knowledge. So, our duty to God is not just read the Word, but study. Be students. A third thing is to have godly personalities. It may sound a little bit strange, godly personalities. But we don't need to go around looking like we were weaned on dill pickles. You know, sour look on our face all the time. And, and Brenda's mentioned to me at times about making announcements and things like that, having a smile on my face. Well, I just kind of forget sometimes. I, you know, I'm not paying attention to my expression. But in everyday life, how are we? How do we present ourselves to the world? That's important. Not only that, how do we present ourselves to our brothers and sisters in Christ? As Paul wrote to Titus, a couple of verses that are very familiar to us, uh, Titus 2.11, where he talks about that the grace of God hath appeared to all men. Well, we know that he's talking about Christ and the fact that Christ has come into this world appearing to all men. In other words, having all men have the opportunity to uh, avail themselves of Christ. But he says in verse 12, in talking about this grace of God, he says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. We should have personalities that reflect that kind of righteousness. Not that we're holier than thou. And of course, we know we get accused of that quite often if you try to correct somebody. And, well, you know, who, do, who are you to correct me religiously or say I'm sinning or... Uh, people always want to respond with that, but it doesn't matter. How are we presenting ourselves to the world? We're to be peaceful people. We're to be loving people. We're to be kind people, meek. I know that we all have our times, but some people don't understand that those are just times here and there. Some people have a very rough personality and their representation of the church to the world. But we have to understand that we need to show Christ living in us. Having God's Word dwelling in us in how we represent ourselves to the world, how we deal with people, how we deal with situations, how are we on the job, how are we with our families, those things. We have to remember we're Christians and that Christ even when he had to be stern and correct certain things, I, I would say that Christ had a very loving and personable attitude. I just can't imagine Christ being mean 
as I heard one fellow say one time, and of course this dealt with the chasing of, uh, out of the money changers out of the temple, that Jesus was cussing. I don't think that was the case. He was stern, but we, we know that he wasn't using profanity because that would have been sin, and Christ was sinless. But we as Christians should put on a good personality, not faking anything. That's not what I'm saying. This should be who we are. This should be the kind of people we are. Kind, loving, patient. Of course, that's, <laughs> that's a tough one to deal with sometimes, patience. But yet we know we're supposed to be that way. That is our duty to God. Follow the example of Christ. And then one last one here that I think is so important. And oftentimes they say you preach to the choir when you uh, talk about this particular one. Well, that, that's true to a certain extent is the fact of our attending the services of the church. You know, it's, it's interesting to stop and think about how the church is supposed to be separate from the world. That it's a unique and divine institution. And compared to the world, it's a great place to be. You know, even if... Uh, people didn't and, and don't believe the Bible, for them to live according to the morals of the Bible would be great. But we see so much of the opposite in our world. But the church is special. The church is a divine institution. And God has commanded us to be together as the church. Now we know Hebrews 10.25 talks about not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Notice that word is not assembly. It's the assembling of ourselves together. If you want to go do a word study on that, you, you can do that. Uh, but it shows the group coming together. We are assembling ourselves together. Now, if he says, and Paul said, uh, I think Paul wrote Hebrews, but we'll just say the Hebrews writer makes a point. If you want to turn over to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 25, he makes a very important statement in this, in the fact of what was going on with some of the brethren. He says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. There were some that had already started a pattern of not being with the church when they came together. Now, but notice he does say the assembling of ourselves. When do we assemble? Well, we assemble twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday night, and other times too. We understand about people not being able to make services because maybe they're sick, extenuating circumstances. That's why we're not talking about that. And Paul is not talking about that either. He is not talking about extenuating circumstances when he says, as the manner of some is. Unless they had a lot of extenuating circumstances, which I don't think that's the case. So, our duty to God is to be with the church. If you don't want to be with the church now, what makes you think you're going to be with them in heaven? <laughs> I remember reading a statement by this fellow. I don't remember it word for word. And, and I thought it was very interesting, very sad, though. This guy says, if I don't like to be with some certain people down here, how am I going to like to be with them in heaven? <laughs> And, and my first thought was, well, with that kind of attitude, what makes you think you're going to be in heaven? 
I wasn't trying to judge the man. I was just trying to say, you know, we know what the Bible says, but the line of thinking. Why wouldn't you want to be here every time the doors are open? Why wouldn't you want to be involved in the work of the church? Now, I understand just because a person comes through those doors every time there's a service, whatever, doesn't mean that they're living correctly, okay? I understand that. But when a person is not regular in their attendance, that's very obvious and obvious that something is not right. It's a heart problem. But our duty to God is to be with God's people. Notice what is said right before verse 25. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now how can I provoke you unto love and good works if I'm not with you? That is a command. To love and provoke unto good works. How can I do that if I'm not here? Look at Colossians, the third chapter. And, of course, this is also uh, in parallel with uh, Ephesians 5, 19. But when we look at what Paul says in Colossians 3, in verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, how can I do that if I'm not here? If I'm commanded to teach, to sing, and how can I do that if I'm not here? That's a violation of these types of scriptures. Some people will say, well, it's a violation of Hebrews 10, 25. It is, but there are other verses that I would violate by not being with, with the uh, church as they assemble. Now, going back to Hebrews, the fifth chapter. What happens to these brethren, the exact circumstances, we're not exactly sure. But in Hebrews, the fifth chapter, in verse 12, the problem with these brethren was that they had fallen back in their knowledge. He says, for when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong drink. Do you think you're going to get strong by staying away from the Lord's people in the church and studying His... You're going to get stronger? I tell you, folks, I used to be stronger than what I am because I used to lift weights. I can't do it now like I used to. There's no way. Why? Because I haven't been doing it. I've gotten weaker over the years because I haven't been exercising, lifting weights. Now, don't get the wrong impression. I never was a bodybuilder. Uh, I, I lifted weights to increase my strength so I felt better. You know how bad you feel when you're weak and all? That's a good reason to exercise. And I, need to, I need to do that. But if I don't exercise my mind with the Scriptures, I get weak. My mind, get, I can't remember. When I was at the Memphis School of Preaching, we had to re uh, memorize a lot of Scripture. I remember just one test, a final test. I had 66 memory verses on one test. That didn't include the other four or five 
tests I, were going, I was going to take in the next couple of days and all the scriptures that in, uh, were involved in those. But the only way I could do it was go over it and over it and over it. I think Steve and I were talking about that this morning about learning things and repetition. We both agreed we need to be repetitious people in order to learn certain things. It's the same way attending services. If I'm not here, I'm not going to be learning what I need to learn. If I'm not cracking this book, I'm not going to be learning what I need to learn. The best place to learn, one of the best places, is with God's people, our services. So, our duty to God, give ourselves totally, study His Word with diligence, have godly personalities, be the Christ that we read about. And to attend the services and the assembling of ourselves together. This is our duty to God. God doesn't have us do these things for His benefit necessarily. Yes, we know that when we go out and preach and teach and do those things, it's to the glory of God. But God is not dependent on us. We're dependent on God. So these are a couple of things that we need to be very aware of and implement into our lives dealing with our duty to God. What is our duty? To serve God. That's a whole duty of man as Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Question this morning, where are you with God? Are you a person that never has obeyed the gospel to start with? Well, that would be the first step. Knowing God's word comes from hearing. Hearing God's word produces faith, Romans 10, 17. Believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, being willing to repent of your sins and confess Christ publicly, and then be baptized for the remission of your sins. That's the first step. And then after that, continue with that drive and that dedication to serve God. As a child of God, have you shirked your duty to God? Are you where you need to be with God? If not, you need to make the changes. And if they're public changes, or in fact, you just pray for want strength and brethren to pray for you, we can do that too. But whatever your need, pray that you'll come as we stand and sing.